uh, please turn to uh, Psalm chapter 23, as that will be our text for this morning. And what we've done uh, in, at the beginning of April is we set out to um, walk to the cross through the Psalms. And so we've, we've gone through a series called Psalms and the Cross uh, in order that we might um, see what set up, if you will, from the beginning um, to, to, to what we're celebrating today in the resurrection of Jesus, of what caused all that. And so we started the first week by looking at God's law. Uh, and we define God's law uh, the way that the Bible actually defines it, and that is God's instructions for life. Most people, when we hear law, um, um, because of our society, we think of a list of don'ts or else. The law is you don't kill somebody or else, or you don't speed or else, or you don't talk on your cell phone or else. Um, but the reality is, is that when the Bible speaks of God's law, it's not talking about a list of, of, of don'ts or else, but it's talking about God's instructions. It's much more like an instruction manual uh, that you very much need at 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve night when you want to go to bed, but you're putting together your kids' toys. It's for your help. It's for your good. And so then from there, we looked at what is man's right response to God's instruction? What does it look like? And we define that simply with one word, and that was worship. Man's right response to God's instruction is worship. It is seeing God's instruction not as just a list of uh, do's and don'ts or else, and as a list of, oh, well, man, all my fun is gone now. It's not seeing it that way, but it's, it's seeing God's instruction as what's right for life. It's what's right for peace and harmony. And then after that, of course, unfortunately, we can't stay there because uh, humanity didn't stay there. And so we looked at man's wrong response. We looked at Psalm 53, and we saw how man's wrong response to God's instruction and God's law is rebellion, right? It's, it's, either, it's either the uh, denial of God's existence, but it's also going against God's instructions, See, many people rebel against God even though they acknowledge His existence. And we think we're okay because, hey, we're in America, we're Christians. America's a Christian nation. Let's get back to our, right, all of these things that we believe because we don't deny the existence of God. But rebellion against God is not just denying His existence, but it's also not following His instructions. And then if you were with us Friday night as we joined with Vanguard Bible Church and had a good Friday service, it was awesome, it was two churches coming together. What I love most about that night is that if you were to worship with them this morning, you would see it would look a lot different than those worshiping with us today, and that's good. Like, it's not uniformity. It's good, but it's, it's unity. It's God's church coming together on the gospel of Jesus. And we looked at Psalm chapter 22, and we saw that God's rescue, God's rescue from man's wrong response was the substitution of Christ. And we saw how Christ, through his suffering, rescued us from our wrong response to God's instructions. And this morning, through Psalm 23, I want to look at God's provision. Now, Psalms chapter 23, I'm willing to, to wager somebody else's paycheck that everybody in here has heard of Psalm 23. 
right? There's probably not many, if any, in here that have never at some point, whether it be at a memorial service or on a cute little sign at Hobby Lobby as you're shopping to decorate your house, haven't seen something that referenced Psalm chapter 23. And I think it's no mistake or coincidence that, that Psalm chapter 22, that is, um, it's considered a messianic psalm, and what that means is that it's a foretelling of the, the Messiah, of Jesus. So Psalm chapter 22 was written before, all the psalms were written before Christ came. But Psalm 22 gave a picture to God's people of what to look for in the Messiah. What, what was going to happen to the Messiah? How would we know who truly is the Messiah? And Psalm chapter 22 gives us that picture of what the Messiah would go through. And now, in Psalm chapter 23, we see God's provision through his rescue. Psalm chapter 22, we see God's rescue from our sin. In Psalm chapter 23, now we see the provision that God makes in that rescue. And this morning, if we're going to define God's provision, we're going to define it as we have in each message with one word, and we're going to define it this way. God's provision is life. It's life. You see, God rescued us from our wrong response, which is death and rebellion that leads to death. And so then God's provision through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is life. You see, we started this series in the beginning of April with God. And this morning, we will end it with God. You see, man is not the bookend in the story of life and creation. We're not the bookends. We're not the focal point of the story. God is. And a right understanding of Christianity and a right understanding of God starts with who God is and what He has done before we even begin to talk about how we have responded improperly. And so this morning, as I, as I do just about every week, I want to lay before you the common lie that we believe um, against the, 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 the truth that God's provision is life, and that is this. Here's the lie that we all struggle not to believe. That we can create for ourselves the best life possible. That we can do that. We have the power to do that. We have to work hard, right? Sometimes it's, we call it luck, fate. But that we have the ability and the power to create the best life possible. And that I can be or do whatever I want and be happy. That's the lie. That's, that, that's the lie. For, for many young men, like right now is March Madness. Like I don't care for basketball that much, but I love March Madness, uh, especially from the Sweet 16 on because there's just, I don't know, like it's our society. We have to include everybody, so everybody feels like a winner. So in the beginning of the tournament, we have everybody, and we very quickly get through those who don't, shouldn't be there, Right? <laughs> doesn't take long, and now we're into the good basketball, right, and the passion. And so many kids, and Nike has a commercial out right now, I think it's Nike, that talks about Derrick Rose, who plays for the Chicago Bulls, and how it's his dream from a little kid to grow up and to be something, to be a basketball player. And the lie there, the subtle lie, is that what you do forms who you are, that you will be somebody important if you do something important, that you will have a good, successful life worth living if you're something that society deems, if you do something that society deems good or entertaining. Little girls often believe the lie growing up that they will be happy and life will be tremendous if they get married and become 
a wife and a mother. And so life is spent growing to try and become that. But that's a lie. The truth is this, that only with Christ as our shepherd can we truly experience the best life possible. You see, the lie is what the world tells us and our flesh wants to believe because it tells us that in us resides the ability to determine our fate and our happiness. And there's a part of every single one of us that that resonates with. We're like, yeah, that's right. I'm the Marlboro man. I can do it on my own. That's what we want. And so the lie feeds that. It feeds that rebellion against God's existence and His instruction. But the truth of the gospel is that only through Christ can we truly experience the best life possible. And in that truth is the assumption that God actually does have good things for those who follow Him. Sometimes, especially as believers, we struggle to believe that. And we're going to walk through that today. So together, let's read Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, we read out of the ESV if you, if you use your phone or a tablet. Um, the ESV version, and the verses will be on the screen for you. So I'm going to read Psalm 23, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll walk through this life that God has provided for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I pray this morning that the truth of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, would be proclaimed clearly, accurately, and effectively. I pray, God, for those in here, Lord, who do not believe, and God, by that I mean every single one of us, that you would show us the areas of life where we believe the lie. And God, that you would illuminate and and press upon our hearts the truth of Jesus and your provision through Jesus. That our hearts would be transformed, our lives would be changed, and our city would be better for it. It is in the sufficient and supreme name of Jesus, the Messiah, we pray. Amen. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, there is a part of that that our hearts ring true. Especially for those who believe. Like, the Lord is my shepherd. We say yes and amen. And then King David follows it with, I shall not want. And then we're like, yes, I know that's how it should be. (laughs) Right? But for a moment, see, for us to fully understand what Scripture is saying, we have to try the best that we can and understand um, who would have un- understand how this would have been received when it was originally written? This psalm was written by King David. He was the king of Israel. He was God's anointed one. And in those days, 
a king was often referred to as a shepherd. So the people of Israel would have looked at David as their shepherd, their king. And so for King David to start this psalm by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, is one, a profession of humility that the king needs a shepherd, that the king is not the final authority, that David was under the rule of God. So not only was it a statement of humility, but it was also a statement of comfort. And here's what I mean. For David to declare to God's people that the Lord is his shepherd was David to declare to God's people that the Lord is caring for David. And therefore, by caring by the king of the people, God is also directly caring for the people. So see, although what might be kind of common or maybe even foreign to us, this idea of a shepherd, except for this time of the year, if we drive out down Enos Lane or out through Panama and we see the sheep appear out of nowhere, and we're like, wait a minute, they're building houses right there. What is a flock of sheep doing or a herd? Like, that's Bakersfield, for those who aren't familiar with Bakersfield. That's what happens here. (laughs) But it wasn't a foreign idea to the people of Israel. They were used to the idea that the king was their shepherd. And for the king to declare that the Lord is his shepherd, it meant a great deal to them. But he says, I shall not want. King David declares that because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. Psalm chapter 34, verses 9 through 10, David also declares this thing. He says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, talking to, his parab- uh, talking to his disciples, instructing his disciples, he says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. You see, there is the truth that when you seek God's kingdom, or when you seek to live under the instructions of the good shepherd, all that you need is provided. You see, a good king, and David was a good king to his people. A good king does not use his people to further his name and his wealth and drive them into poverty, but a good king cares for his people because a good king knows that as his people flourish, so does the king. As a king cares for the welfare of his people, as a king provides security from the enemies, as a king provides nourishment to the body, and rest, a people flourish, and therefore a king flourishes. James Johnson, in his commentary on the psalm, says this. He says that sheep are helpless animals. Left to themselves, they lack everything. A good shepherd knows what they need. If the God of the universe is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. And that's what I want to show us through this morning, through Psalm, the rest of Psalm chapter 23, verses uh, 2 through 6 here this morning, is God's provision of life. Because that's what this psalm, if you're to, in a macro sense, not in a micro sense, but in a macro sense, if you're to look at Psalm chapter 23, you're going to see God's provision of life. A good king, a good shepherd provides life for his people, not death. So the first thing that we see this morning through the resurrection, God provides abundant life. Abundant life. Look at verses 2 through 3 with me again. 
Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, listen, remember the psalm. The psalms are poetry, right? They're designed to create imagery. And so every word that is chosen is chosen on purpose to portray a picture to God's people of what a good shepherd looks like. And so this idea of pasture, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. It produces, or it should bring about, it teach us that God nurtures and brings nutrition to his people. You see, a sheep cannot live unless it has nutrition for the body. We know that. That's one thing I've shared with you guys recently that our family personally is learning is that food is not just for pleasure. Oh, how I wish it were. Oh, how I love to indulge. But the fundamentals, the reason that we eat is not for our pleasure. God's common grace allows us to enjoy most things we eat. Not all, but most. But the purpose isn't our pleasure. The purpose is nutrition. The purpose is for life. The purpose is fuel so that we can continue. And this is what he's saying. A good shepherd provides nutrition for his people, for his sheep. And not just in pastures where you have to go and try and pick through the grass and the weeds and the thorn, but in green pastures. It's the picture of this abundant life. There's abundant nutrition. God's sheep, the good shepherd, does not lack. His sheep do not lack from nutrition. The idea of still waters. We know that water is necessary, but not only does this bring about a picture of us drinking water and how Christ is the living water, but it's also a picture of rest. You see, not only is nutrition necessary for a healthy and abundant life, but rest is necessary. Like, rest is written into who we are. You realize that, right? I also enjoy sleeping, eating and sleeping. I love it. But sleeping isn't just for my pleasure. Sleeping is fundamental to survival. It's fundamental to an abundant, healthy, fruitful life. The psalmist declares that the Lord is his shepherd and he restores his soul. And this is a picture of the rejuvenation that comes from good nutrition, healthy, clean, pure water, and rest. It's a soul that's restored, that rises in the morning, not grumbling, but rises in the morning ready to be fruitful, ready again to follow the shepherd. Sheep don't determine their own path. The shepherd determines their path. In John chapter 10, Jesus talks about how he is the good shepherd. Of course, he's drawing from what Hebrews would have known as Psalm chapter 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And Jesus says that my sheep know my voice. They follow my voice. But he also says this, and this is why each week we not only try to present the truth, but we try to present a lie. It's very strategic. We present the lie that the world tries to get us to believe that's in opposition of the truth. Because Jesus says this in John chapter 10. He says that not only do the sheep know my voice and follow it, but they know the voice of the enemy. That Jesus' sheep know how to recognize what is not true, what is not from the good shepherd. And Jesus says that his sheep turn and they run from it. They don't entertain it. 
They don't see how close to that lie they can get before they've sinned or gone too far. But they turn and they run from it. They run from the voice of the enemy and they run to the voice of the good shepherd. The psalmist, an abundant life is one that brings nutrition, drink, and rest. It brings rejuvenation in the morning because we have been well-fed and well-watered and well-rested. And you see, this idea of rest isn't just talking about when we lay our heads down at night, but it's talking about the fact that Jesus is our shepherd and He's watching over us. The fact that we eat and we drink and we have a bed to lie down in and and clothes to put on our back should teach us not of how great we are at providing for ourselves and our family, but how good of a shepherd God is in providing for His people. Paths of righteousness. See, David David says that the shepherd leads us in paths of righteousness and that that is a part of His goodness to His people. All of God's ways are for good. Do you realize that? Everywhere that the shepherd, not, 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 not the enemy, not the paths of the enemy, not the voice of the enemy, but the paths and the voice of the shepherd are always for good. Always for good. Now notice the transition that he makes now from verse 3 to verse 4. He says, excuse me, from verse 2 to verse 3. I'm sorry, it's verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now in verse 4, he says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, it is not a contradiction to David to say that the shepherd leads him in paths of righteousness for the sake of God's glory in his name and know that those paths of righteousness include the the valley of shadows and death. And see, this is where we see the second thing that, we, that God provides to us through the resurrection. And that through the resurrection, God provides fearless life. Not just abundant life, but fearless life. He walks through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet he fears no evil. Why does he fear no evil? We don't have to look far. For you are with me. Your rod comfort me. Your staff comfort me. It's not my rod and my staff, right? Or my home security system, whatever that might entail for you. It's not who I think is going to make a better president and protect us from the evils of the world. But it is the rod and the staff of the Lord, the shepherd who is with him. Do you realize that the paths of righteousness take us to where wrongs are done? It's not a contradiction. God's paths of righteousness will lead his sheep into areas where injustice is being committed. See, God is not tempting us in these paths of, of, unri- of righteousness. How is God's glory made known? Well, what is God's glory? We have to answer that. God's glory is the presence of His holiness. It is the realness. It is the manifestation of God's holiness. What is His holiness then? It's the fact that God only does good. God is set apart to only do good. One of the catechisms that in our family we teach our kids is that can God do all things? 
And the answer is yes, God can do all of His holy will. And part of walking in paths of righteousness, righteous simply means, righteousness simply means doing what is right. Paths of righteousness, God leads us down paths where we will do right, where wrongs have been done. And to our flesh and to, even to our spirit, it will look like the, shadow, the valleys of the shadows of death. Because we'll experience darkness. Not because God is not with us, but because of the evil that is happening around us. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, I'm sure that David is recalling as he writes this psalm, but it says this. It says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or, and be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And of course, again, Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus, as he, before he ascends to heaven after his resurrection... Jesus says to his disciples, after he commands them to go into all the world and make disciples. So Jesus is telling them, go into all the world, follow my paths of righteousness throughout all of the world. And lo and behold, you'll walk through the valleys of shadow of death. But Jesus says again, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, through the resurrection of Jesus, God gives us fearless life because he is with us always. He has good things. That's part of the abundant life. We can't separate the abundant life from the fearless life. You see, there will be times where in our flesh, God will lead us down paths of righteousness where we'll look at it and we'll be like, no way. I'm afraid. There's no way. There's no way I'm selling what I have and moving there. There's no way I'm selling the comfortable things that I enjoy so that others will not go without There's no way I'm allowing my kids to go there and do that because it might spoil them or ruin them. It's fearful. But the paths of righteousness lead us to areas of injustice. Isn't that what Christ did for us? We celebrated it just two days ago. Christ's righteousness went to the valley of the shadow of death. It experienced, Christ took upon the injustice of humanity upon himself. He bore it. This is what we celebrate. It's what Christ did. It's who we follow. You see, we will not, as followers of Christ, listen, Christian, as a follower of Christ, you cannot follow Christ without going into the valley of the shadow of death. You can't. It's impossible. Jesus tells his disciples that, listen, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. Listen, the world's going to reject you because it rejected me first. But I am with you always. You see, we can be fearless in life, not because we're better than other people, not because we have it figured out, but because the Good Shepherd is with us and promises to never leave us or forsake us. In fact, He has given us the deposit of, that, of His presence. God has given us the deposit of His eternal presence in the presence of the Holy Spirit at the time our hearts are regenerated. You see, when the human heart is regenerated, it is done so not because we come upon this idea like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. We don't come upon that on our own. The Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of our fallenness and the need for Jesus as Savior. 
And in that moment, we're able to believe. And that's the deposit that God has given us for His eternal presence. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And because God has promised to never leave us or forsake us, and because we know that He leads us only in paths of righteousness, and because we know that God does not tempt, temptation is not from God. And because we know that God's righteous paths will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because He is with us. His rod, His staff, they comfort us. And so for a moment, let me pause and let's make this personal. What is it that you fear as the Good Shepherd is leading you down paths of righteousness for His namesake? What are you afraid of? What's What is standing in opposition to you walking through the valley of shadow of death for the name of the Lord? What is it? Is it the fear of the unknown? Well, rest assured that God controls all things and He rules sovereign over all things. So whether you know it's going to happen or not, it's going to happen and God reigns in control over that. So we don't have to be afraid of the unknown anymore. He's a good shepherd. We know that his paths, no matter what they look like, are good, right? We know that. This is why it matters so much what we know and not what we feel. We know this about God. So we don't have to fear the unknown. Do you fear being rejected by your coworkers, your family, your neighbors, your kids, your spouse? Well, rest assured that Christ was rejected so that you could be eternally accepted by God. If you can be eternally accepted by God, and not only has God eternally accepted you through the work of Christ, because Christ was forsaken on the cross, but God has also provided a new family for you. It's called the church. See, it matters if you gather with the church regularly. It matters deeply. It's God's method by which we remember and we move forward and we feel the the, the physical acceptance of God through the acceptance of God's people. You feel lonely and rejected all the time? Gather with God's people and know the acceptance that God has for you. And this is why it matters that we go into the valley of the shadow of death because the world doesn't know acceptance like we know acceptance. Jesus was friends of sinners. The world, listen, sinners experience the love of the Father through Jesus' presence and living life amongst them. And that's how it should be of us, His church. You see, the world should see what we have together and long for it. They should see that you wronged me and I had no reason to forgive you and continue to love and care and accept you, but yet I still did. Why? The world should see that as leaders in the church, we mess up and we're not perfect, but yet you still follow. Why is that? Because leaders in the church are to lead differently. We're to repent from our mistakes and realize that we don't lead perfectly. You see, the entire structure and life of the church should be completely opposite of the world to such a degree that they see it and it puzzles them. What is it? So see, you don't have to be fear of rejection because you've been accepted most importantly by God and then also by His church. What do you fear? 
not having a place to lay your head? You fear that? Is that, is that a, a legitimate concern you have? Well, rest assured that Jesus on earth told his disciples that, listen, I, 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 the foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. And he was okay with that. Because it was temporary. Because, listen, eternally, God has a place for us. So we don't have to fear going without in this life. Even if that is God. Listen, there, you realize that whatever it is that you're fearing, whatever it is that you're going through right now, can I tell you something? It's not life-changing. Uh, okay, uh, disclaimer. But listen, this might be the best you ever have it on earth. Your situation might progressively get worse and worse and worse, day by day, day by day, without ever getting better here on earth. And can I tell you that's okay? Can I tell you that in the midst of that, that God is still good? Jesus is still a good shepherd who leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake? Because you see, the gospel didn't finish. The, the work of Jesus wasn't, wasn't, wasn't consummated when he rose. We celebrate it. It's the pinnacle, right? It's God's stamp of approval on Jesus' perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. So we love it and we celebrate it. But can I tell you, there's just a little bit more of good news to come. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. The good shepherd is coming back. We sang it this morning. There will be a day where what our faith barely clings to now will be made plain in our sight. Through the resurrection, God provides abundant life, fearless life, and lastly, He provides eternal life. Verse 6, King David ends this declaration of God being his shepherd, of God being the good shepherd, of God being a shepherd who provides everything that he needs by saying this, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Do you, listen, do you relish in God's mercy in your life? Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. No matter how bad you have it in life, no matter how bad your relationship is, no matter how bad your finances is, no matter how bad your job is, no matter how bad anything is, you deserve worse. See, that's the message of the church. We deserve worse, but in God's grace, Christ was crucified and gives us better. That's what David's saying. Mercy. David relishes in God's mercy. David realizes that he deserves worse, but God has withheld that. God's goodness and his mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For how long? Forever. Through the cross, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we have eternal life. God has provided eternal life through the resurrection of Jesus. You see, it matters that Jesus not only died for our sins, that God raised him from the dead. Why does that matter? Because without God raising from the dead, we don't have life. There's no life to be given. There's no life to be had. You see, God raising Jesus from the dead is God's stamp of approval on Jesus' sacrifice. If God hadn't raised Jesus from the dead, we would still be wondering, is it good enough? The Apostle Paul couldn't declare that once and for all, Christ died for the sins of all men. 
But because God raised Jesus from the dead, we can declare with Paul, Christ died once and for all for the forgiveness of sins. And we have life, eternal life. Now notice also that David says that the blessing of eternal life is being with the Lord. Do you realize that although we have abundant life today, and although we can live a fearless life today, the greatest gift that we get in God giving life is being in the eternal presence of the Good Shepherd. You know how much value and worth that places on Jesus? That He Himself is the prize? Heaven isn't the prize. The comfort that we will receive for eternity, the lack of sin and the presence of sin being gone forever isn't the prize, but Jesus is the prize. All of those things are the spoils that go along with the prize. Jesus is the prize. The blessing of God's provision through the resurrection of Christ is being with the Lord forever. And more importantly, can I say this? It is the Lord being with you forever. He's not the one that wanders. We are. But he's a good shepherd who brings us back. If you'll stand with me, we'll pray. God, I thank you that your divine plan from eternity past was to give your son, the good shepherd, as a ransom for ravenous wolves. That your design to rescue your people from our willing rebellion to your instruction was not to demand that we try harder and live life, live life right in our own, but it was to provide righteousness that we could never attain. God, we thank you and we celebrate today that you are the good shepherd, Jesus. That because you walk the ultimate valley of death for us, we can now walk in your paths of righteousness and not fear. I pray, God, that we would walk from here in these next three songs that we sing together, God, that we would sing them celebrating the abundant, the fearless, the eternal life that you have provided for your people. And God, for those of us that struggle to believe, I, I ask this one thing. God, make our hearts believe.